Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome, friends. You know, Walt and I have just completed a season of speaking on living water. We went from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And now as we begin a new season for the next few months, we prayed about it and made the decision to go into the Old Testament. Oh, I love the Old Testament. Yes, we know. And we love to go there. Well, the book that we are going to share over these coming weeks tells the story of a beautiful woman who became queen. Her Jewish name was Hadassah, but we know her better by another name, the name of the book, Esther. You know, God's name is never mentioned in this book, but his fingerprints are everywhere. And we will see very clearly that the big theme in this book is the providence of God. You know, he is operating behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes and to preserve his people. Well, as we begin this new season, we've entitled A Crown with Purpose. We'll begin with the historical and cultural setting. So, Walt, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, even as, even as you say that, before we look at the text, uh, when we look at the book of Esther, it's important uh, that we introduce this book and, and give some of those background details, like the title. Um, there's a number of books in the Old Testament that they identify uh, with the main character in there, the book of Ruth, Joshua, the judges. Um, they're titled because they they have a main character, and that's what we're going to look at, the book of Esther. Um, this is interesting. The author is undetermined, and no one knows for sure who wrote this, like the book of Hebrews. No one knows for sure who wrote that. So that's not unprecedented, but it's very unusual. It's possible, some have suggested Mordecai, uh, one of the, the key leaders in this book, um, for preserving the Jewish nation. But most Jewish scholars do not agree upon this. Uh, the date is pretty certain. Um, it has to have been written after 473 BC because that's the year that the Jews defended themselves and instituted the Feast of Purim. Uh, and this book spans a, a time period of approximately 10 years. So this is 10 years of history in the Persian kingdom uh, with the king of Persia. And, and this is one of the last books written in the Old Testament time period. Uh, Esther, along with Ezra, Nehemiah, and part of Malachi. And then the literary style, this is narrative. This is great narrative, like the book of Ruth. It tells a historical story, but it tells us in, in, a, in a place, and really it's the palace life. There's intrigue, there's murderous plots, and there's God's hand operating and moving mightily behind the scenes in some very unusual and surprising ways. This is good narrative literature, and that's the story that we're going we're to begin right now. 
Yeah. And as you share that, Walt, I mean, I just, I've got to go back in my mind to our classes in Bible college, our classes in seminary. And this was always important work as we would begin a new book. Our professors wanted us to grasp this, knowing where does it fit in history? Who are these key um, people that will be represented in a book when it is a narrative? And understanding Uh, the title, the author, all the things that you've just listed for us are important. And, you know, it's kind of our our geek out time, right? And and we need those pegs to hang this on. What what is this history? Well, this is a a kingdom following the Assyrian kingdom, which was the biggest kingdom for a a period of time. And then the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdoms, they, um, the Medes and the Persians, which later became focused in on the Persians, this is, they, for 200 years, they spanned, they were the big dog on the block. They, they were a mighty power. Yeah, and we also need to note with regard to this book of Esther that there's been a lot of controversy over this book. And uh, the great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, It's actually stated he absolutely hated the book of Esther. And that seems like really strong coming from this leader in the church, right? But he called Esther, quote, less worthy of being held canonical than any other writing of the Old Testament. And he put it on a list with 2 Maccabees for books that Judaize too much and contain much pagan naughtiness. Pagan naughtiness for sure. Yes. And we're going to see that in this book. But friends, we want to tell you, as Wald and I've been just working through this book and we've been reading through the verses, we recognize and we realize we live in a sin-filled world. And it's not just our world today in your country, in your state or province that you live in, but it, it is, goes all the way back, right? All the way back to Adam and Eve, sin entered into the world. And so, yes, this book um, really does paint the picture of what palace life was like, and it wasn't pretty. And it contained pagan naughtiness. Pagan naughtiness. God's name is not even mentioned in this book. And many scholars reject the book because it fails to mention God at all. Well, let's begin in our first few verses here in chapter one of Esther. Let's set the scene, as it were, as the curtain is drawn at this first scene. Now in the days of Ahasuerus that the he reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. And in those days, the king sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel. In the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media, the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. And while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, in fact, for 180 days, and when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast 
lasting for seven days in the court of the Garden of the King's Palace. You know, over the past years, we've attended some pretty nice events, celebrations, dinners, and we've been, you know, with some some people of name, right? But they're in position, they they have a lot of times it's ministry settings, but we've never been invited to a king and queen's feast being held in a palace. And don't you wish you could have gotten invited to England to one of those? Well, I, you know, maybe, but I don't know. Sometimes i getting too close to those. That's powerful, right? But this is a powerful king who ruled over the largest kingdom, 127 provinces in the known world. Um, the biblical name um, for the meaning of Asherah is prince or head. He's the chief. In other words, he is the one in charge of this kingdom. Everyone looks to him. What does he want us to do? How are we supposed to act? What are we to carry out as far as his commands? Well, now three years into his reign, he shows all his greatness to the leaders in his kingdom. In fact, he shows them over the span of 180 days. And when this time has finished, the king now hosts a seven-day feast for the people in the garden of his palace. And again, remember, this king is powerful. He's ruling from India in the east to Ethiopia, south of Egypt. I mean, he has a huge kingdom. And as we, we read through this, we need to realize that, that this is going to the, the text even just here is setting up descriptions of the extravagance and the splendor found in this palace. And then it goes into detail of, of some of the specifics. There were white cotton curtains, and this is beginning back in verse 6, and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement. Of, and then a number of beautiful precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds. And the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There's no compulsion. Do what you want. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desires. They are enjoying a huge party. Um, it sounds like a drunken just all these vessels, it's it's spectacular. And even the, the details here are so specific. White and violet are these colors that they mentioned, and they're the royal colors of Persia. Archaeologists have, have confirmed this, and they've said this palace area was gorgeous. Uh, the Greek historian Herodotus called him Xerxes. That's his name that comes more into us from the Greek. And in this grand gathering, he said, this ancient Greek historian said this gathering of 180 days, half a year, and then this feast, this was all time for military planning. This was the king getting prepared his forces because he desired to invade Greece, uh, which, by the way, he tried and they failed miserably. And we won't go into all of that history, but this historians say this is true. And note the extravagance and the prideful presentation of the kings. He's trying to impress his whole nation and all the military leaders. And this brings to my thought a head to heart. 
Um, I need, we all need to check our hearts and our attitudes regularly because all of us have a struggle with pride. It can seep into any available crevice. And this king ruled over this empire greater in size than the Babylonians and the Assyrians before him. But it wasn't enough. He still wanted more. He wanted more power. He wanted more wealth. He wanted to conquer more kingdoms and more people and rule over and enslave them. And when people are walking in the flesh, let's be honest, when I'm walking in the flesh and if I give into fleshly desires, I'll always desire more. I want more. I'll strive for more. And it leads to their destruction. One of the verses that um, early in my Christian life that I was um, asked to memorize was Proverbs. And and Proverbs in, in chapter 16 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride and a haughty spirit lead to destruction. And then one of the other passages I love, and, and actually we could read a good part of this chapter in the New Testament, is 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, where Timothy is being reminded by his older Apostle Paul leader. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what I need to be striving for, not just more and more and more, but contentment in in just living a godly life and trusting God will take care of me. Yeah, just that thought, Walt, that as even as we're reading these opening verses, it's it's always our desire as we study God's word, as we share it through this avenue of the podcast or in written form or any other teaching platform that we might be on. But we want that head to heart, right? That That's so important. It's not just enough to read through these verses and say, well, that was a great history lesson, but that we need to check our heart and we need to look at this. Yes, pride goes before destruction. And that reminder in First Timothy 6, godliness with contentment, that the Lord would give us contentment in where he has us and what he's provided for us, the place he has given for us to serve him and to live for him. Well, while the king was hosting this grand feast and everyone was allowed to do whatever they wanted and they were pouring wine and everyone was drinking as much as they wanted and eating and just the lavish, we read now in verse 9, Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to the king. You know, men are celebrating in the courtyard of the palace and we we read all the curtains, the white and the violet colors and all of the precious stones, marble and and um, the gold and the silver couches. But there is also another area in the palace where the queen was hosting for the women. This woman is the queen of the most powerful man in the world at this time in history. And we've just been introduced to Queen Vashti here in verse 9. And next time, we are going to learn more details about this woman. But we wanted to make sure that you see the setting as the curtains opened on the book of Esther. We've got a powerful king who is showing 
all of his leaders, military and the governors of the provinces, all that he has looking at wealth, talking about how they will conquer the Greeks and they will grow their empire even larger. And here is a queen who is serving women and hosting a feast for the women also at the palace. You know, the book of Esther is included in the Old Testament, even though scholars have debate, they've debated and they've argued against the inclusion of this book in the Old and New Testament, in the Bible. And as we said earlier, God's name is not even mentioned anywhere in this book. And yet faithful students of the Word of God will pour over these chapters and verses, and they see, yes, in fact, they find God's fingerprints all over this story. God's providence is all-inclusive. No person or detail of life will escape God's control. Do you believe that? God's providence is all-inclusive. And I have to think of a head-to-heart here. Each of us could honestly mention right now one or more circumstances in our lives. And I encourage you, if you've got a piece of paper, a pen, a pencil, a notebook, maybe you want to jot a couple of those circumstances down right now. And above it, write the book of Esther. In our lives, we can often doubt the care and guidance of God because we feel like we're caught in a circumstance, in a situation, in a relationship that is just going to fail. It's going to, it's not going to turn out well. And as we begin this new study in the book of Esther, I want to encourage each of us to take some time even now and bring these concerns before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Old Testament and the New Testament, these books that have been brought together and that, Lord, we see you in these written pages. We know that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that it's living and that it will lead us and guide us. Lord, we turn to you today with perhaps the circumstances we've just jotted down on a piece of paper, asking you to care for us and to guide us in the coming days through each and every difficulty that we may be facing. Lord, I thank you that you know each and every person who's listening. You know my heart, you know Walt's heart, and you know our desire, Lord, to trust in you and to know deeply in our hearts that you are in control. You are all powerful and you love us and you care for us. We commit our way to you today. And until we come together again, may we continue to walk with God. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.